Oh, hi there. I guess you could call this a public service announcement, but I just wanted to let you guys know at the top of the show that as of this episode, the system is down, will no longer be edited for profanity. Just putting that out there. When I first started the show, I wanted to take out all the profanity because I wanted this show to be something that you could listen to around your kids. They could, you know, educate themselves on some new crazy outlandish theories and ideas in life, but... I mean, let's be honest, the show is not really a kid-friendly show with or without the profanity, and if you're fine with them listening to the rest of the content, you're probably fine with them hearing a couple naughty words. Doesn't mean we're going to get any more explicit in how we talk, but it is the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, so it seems a little bit silly to talk about the things that are uncomfortable and leave out some of the uncomfortable words. So if your children are in the room and you don't like them hearing that kind of language... Go ahead and put the earmuffs on or send them off to bed. But just letting you guys know so there's no surprises. Let's go. Hey guys, you can now support this show and make your life 50% better by going to patreon.com forward slash the system is down and signing up for the Downers Club where you're going to get access to a plethora of wild, crazy, and often offensive bonus audio and video episodes of the show on a weekly basis. For more information, just go to patreon.com forward slash the system is down. is a goulash media production goulashmedia.net welcome to the system is down what's up downers welcome back to the least comfortable show on the web the system is down where we talk about all the uncomfortable topics like conspiracies politics and religion the things that people just don't like talking about We do that. So if you're new here, go find the person who invited you. Give them a big slap on the rear and a kiss on the mouth from me and you because I appreciate you being here and you're going to appreciate being here. And if you're one of the many people who tune in every single Monday morning for your weekly dose of discomfort, welcome back to the show. It's going to be a good one. Now, I had somebody tell me recently, earlier today, actually, they just asked, why do you talk so long in the intros and outros of these episodes? Why do you do that? I listen to a lot of podcasts where they just play the music and jump into the conversation. Well, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but in these interviews, uh, the interview type of episodes especially, I feel like there's a little bit of setup that is a little kind of required um, because... There might be some explanation. There might be some things that don't really make sense uh, because we didn't dig as deeply in the conversation. I just feel like there's some introduction and outroduction that is necessary. If I'm wrong, let me know. But I'll, uh, you know, I could take this one of two ways, this uh, this criticism. I could take it uh, spitefully and spitefully make this intro extremely painfully long. Or I could make it spitefully really painfully short and we could just jump into it right now um yeah those are the only two options because i only deal in spite i'm not sure if that's a healthy way to live my life but that's that's where we're at i'm gonna stick with the short one and it's not gonna be as short as you want otherwise we'd already be into the conversation now but i'm going to set this up for you as quickly as i can so here we go If you've been watching the show or listening to the show for any length of time, you've probably seen our tripartisan triggering episodes where I have John Schweppe, Mark Claire, and Ryan Beckenbaugh on as a Republican, a Libertarian, a Democrat to discuss different topics in the world and get three different sides. Do so in a very, um, very not shouty, very civil manner. It's pretty uncommon. Okay, I'm 
talking too long already. So we had this one set up and Ryan couldn't make it. And Bobby Volm is a guy who's in the forum and he's a Marxist. He's made that very apparent in the forum, which is great. Um, he agreed within the last 20 minutes to jump on the show and take Ryan's place. So that's what we're doing here. We're talking about Marxism. We're talking about why he uh, is a Marxist. So that's the conversation. And got to remind you guys about the Anti-News Tonight, antinewslive.com. Uh, that's where we cover everything that's going on in the world. It's basically our second show that Craig and I do where we talk about the cu- current topics in the world in our dark comedic way. Go to antinewslive.com. It's a live show, live broadcast. You can call in. You can write in. You can whatever. Be a part of the show. Antinewslive.com tonight at 9 o'clock Central Standard Time. Check it out. Also, got to give a shout out to our sponsors, the 29 Toys Podcast, which is a different podcast from this. It's much less structured. It's much more free form, free flow. Uh, I guess ours is kind of, but theirs is just three guys drinking beers, talking about guy stuff like movies, music, video games, and whatever is happening in their life. So go check out the 29 Toys Podcast for a, uh, a chill, just laid back set of conversations. Um, 29 Toast Podcast, wherever podcasts are sold, check them out. Now let's get into this as quickly as possible, the uh, the latest episode of Tripartisan Triggering with our new member, Bobby Volm. Marxism. Let's get weird. Well, we're back with another episode of Tripartisan Triggering. We plan- we've been planning this for like three months. We've scheduled it multiple times, and they've all fallen through for one reason or another. And then we finally had a date set up like two weeks in advance, because Mark here always complains that it's too short to notice um, as the complainer that he is. But... Uh, we finally had this one set up two weeks in advance, and then, lo and behold, our Democrat, Ryan, uh, he's a lawyer. He had he had something come up. Nothing on him, uh, but it is it is a shame that we have to do it without him, but I wasn't going to let this one slip through the cracks because it's, it's been so ongoing for so long. But we had a pinch hitter here, uh, Bobby Volm, who has – am I pronouncing your name right, Bobby? Yeah, that's completely right. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah, he was willing to step in. We've talked about it a little bit in the forum, and uh, – he worked really well for the 20 minute uh, 20 minute prep that I gave. Well, not really prep. 20 minute advance notice that I gave him and came on uh, graciously. So, Bobby, thanks for being here. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, give us your backstory uh, briefly, and what brought you to the place that you are, where you stand in politics? All right. Yeah. Uh, I, thanks, Dan, for having me on the show. I you know, it was in the Facebook group and I jokingly a couple of times asked you to put me on and here we are. Um, like I said, my name is Bobby. I've kind of worlds in the um, political scheme. Um, I've been, you know, as far as right as an anarcho-capitalist to as far left as like a, you know, a Marxist Leninist. At this point, I find myself, you know, somewhere uh, quite a bit left of the Democratic Party, but I think quite a bit far south on the authoritative side as well. Um, so it, a lot of, a lot of uh, people like that over the years and, uh, just kind of, kind of found myself where I'm at now. So. Gotcha. Yeah, and we're having a little bit of a connection issue. So if that persists, we might have to, uh, go another route, but for now we will stick with it. But it sounds like you're, <laughs> well, Ryan is a Democrat um, by title, but he said the same thing as you did. You know, I'm a Democrat, but I, I don't. You know, I'm not a hardcore, crazy Democrat. Ryan is Alan Colmes. I hate to say it. I love Alan. Alan Colmes? I'm not familiar. <laughs> oh, really? I always liked Alan Colmes, too. I grew up yeah, watching Yeah, I him. love Alan Colmes. Uh, okay. All right. 
Even though I was raised in a, in a Republican household when I used to watch Hannity and Combs because I was a nerd in high school, Combs is the one I liked, even though <laughs> yeah. I theoretically just like he seemed like a cooler guy, you know? No, no. He These mystery voices that you're hearing will come as no surprise because they <laughs> they were able to make it tonight. It's uh, Mark Clare from the Lions of Liberty podcast. He's our libertarian representative. Mark, how's it going? Good. Great. Cool. <laughs> when I ask you a question, you have nothing to say. Uh, when I don't, you do. Uh, That's we also how I have... roll. I have no answers to actual questions, but plenty of bullshit to dish your way. That's right. And of course, uh, our Republican nomination, John Schweppe. How's it going? Dude, it's going great. Like, I feel like we're making America great again. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Things are great. All right. All right. All right. Cut his mic. Pump the brakes a little bit there, John. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, uh, this is kind of super last minute, and I had s certain things planned that would have worked probably, I don't know, I, I had things going a different way in my mind uh, with Ryan. I know where this conversation, these conversations would have gone. The, I mean, Bobby, you're a total curveball, but I'm totally open to it. Are and, you calling um, us predictable, Dan? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, Bobby, before we get into any topics or anything, um, I'm curious as a I mean, you basically came into the forum saying, you know, I'm a Marxist. If anybody wants to debate, let me know, um, which yeah, is cool. Yeah. Uh, so what brought you to the show? What brought you to the forum? Because there's I, I'm pretty sure uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the only Marxist that's in the group. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Casey Gallenberger, I hope he's OK with me using his name. Uh, sure. If he's witness protection. Sorry, dude. Um, <laughs> but he's a, I went to high school with him. He's a, a friend of a friend. Um, and you know, you know, we kind of conflicted a little bit when we added each other on Facebook initially. Uh, he's, if you know him, I mean, he, he's fairly religious, um, mm -hmm. and he, he's pretty intellectual. He's a really intelligent dude. And I really respected that about him. He doesn't make a lot of logical fallacies. Um, he sticks to scripture and he, he's really consistent in the vast majority of things he says. Um, so, I mean, we kind of went back and forth. I'm not a religious person myself. Um, and he randomly just added me to your group and i was just like all right cool like everybody here probably disagrees with me so i'm just gonna put myself out there uh, i like civil discourse and i kind of like shit posting so uh it seemed like kind of a good fit and uh i, I don't think i'm super active in there but you know sure. I, I throw a, a couple comments in there from time to time so sure and I, I appreciate it i definitely appreciate you sticking around because uh yeah you disagree with a lot of people and i think that's great i don't want to make it into an echo chamber or anything so whenever right. somebody does disagree i'm all for it which is why we do this but uh yeah thank uh, i'm glad you stuck around because we've had multiple people who are like you know uh eh, i like you but this thing it's not for me like good yeah. friends of mine who have just been like no i, I can't handle this anymore so kudos <laughs> kudos um, so as far as the, uh, we, I mean, we could start out with the, the Marxist dealio and like okay. your stance on that and, uh, just change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Change your mind. That's, that's a hell of an accomplishment to do. I mean, uh, you're right. Change all of our minds, <laughs> oh, all of your mind, not just Dan, but, uh, Mark and who I forgot the other guy, the high Jim. guy, um, Jim. So what? Yeah, basically, uh, what brought me what brought me into the Marxist sphere was really uh, just out of curiosity. I bought a couple. I bought a couple of books. I bought uh, Capital One and Two by him, which are obnoxiously dense reads. Like I would, I wouldn't recommend it honestly, but um, they are like fairly convincing of the evils of a lot of capitalism and a lot of the downfalls 
kind of behind the scenes that we don't see, especially in the first world. Um, and I kind of expanded out of there, reading a bit of Lenin, a bit of Mao, of which I'm not super big fans of either, but they did have some, some good writing. Um, I found it very convincing. Basically, um, if I'm in this to change your mind, uh, effectively, a capitalist is an individual who, you guys still there? All right. Yep. yep. Yes. So a capitalist is an individual who, under the state's protection, owns property. So the state agrees to protect that property. Um, so that property is then outsourced uh, through what we call employees. So the capitalist pays them a wage, which the state sometimes enforces, other times doesn't. Obviously in the US, we do have an enforced wage. Um, but he takes all of what they produce, he or she, capitalist can be male, female, or anything in between, whatever you prefer, um, takes all of what's produced except the wage for themselves. And a lot of that's reinvested and it goes to overhead and it goes to insurance and it goes to a million other things. But legally speaking, the state allows the capitalist to get away with whatever he or she wants, um, so long as they kind of forfeiture the, you know, whatever $10 an hour that, that they allot. And in a lot of countries like, you know, China's looked at as a communist regime, but I don't think anybody can deny, deny they practice some form of capitalism. Um, I mean, you look at people there and, you know, they have no real minimum wage and they're getting just pillaged out of their labor. So from a Marxist perspective, profit is unpaid labor. And I found that really compelling. Um, and it, you know, it, the way I see a lot of things, and I'm not talking small mom and pops, like uh, small mom and pop shops, they do the same thing, but to a lesser extent. But if we look at a company like Apple, who just got listed as a trillion dollar company, paying their, the vast majority of their employees poverty, literally poverty wages, not what we call in the US poverty wages, um, but quite literally poverty wages on the global scale, driving them to things like suicide. Um, you know, these individuals are effectively getting away with murder. Um, and I, I think they should be held accountable. I'm not one of these people that say go kill the rich, but I'm saying, you know, there should be more employee ownership on it. And socialism really is the workers owning the means of what they produce in a Marxist sense. So I don't know if that's convincing to any of you or if you find it interesting, but nobody interrupt me. So that was yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, that's what we do here. Uh, Mark and John, feel free to chime in at any point. Only because my mouth was full. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Mark, your thoughts? Um, okay, well, I, I've heard all, a lot of you know these arguments before. And I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think any of us are <laughs> think that any of us are going to leave the show with a completely different worldview or anything like that. Right, but right. I, yeah, yeah. The change my mind thing was basically a joke. This is just, yeah, yeah, discussion. of course. It, to me, it's more about, you know, I think I, I can see the point of view of people and understand it better without necessarily having it change my mind. And I think that's kind of the idea behind these shows is we all share our points of view. We will try to talk about it. And I think it's more about, to me anyway, that's how it is with my show. I, I want to have the people listening start thinking differently about what we're saying, not, not necessarily think a certain way. Obviously, it's better if everyone thinks my way at the end of the day, but you know, that's not necessarily how things work ever. Um, of all the points Worked you made, me. I guess um, the only thing that I haven't really heard put that way before that I, I was hoping maybe you could expand on is just this, the one um, phrase you said, profit is unpaid labor under like a capitalist society is what, you, and I, I just want to start off by saying like, I don't like the term capitalism, um, largely because of partly what Bobby was kind of talking about. I think in many ways, what we have come to call capitalism now is generally the state 
protecting uh, larger businesses and uh, larger businesses often benefit from those protections. I think it's more than simple property protections. Um, it's, it's regulatory pr protections. Um, there are, there are many, many laws created and many, many loopholes created specifically to protect the larger corporations. So it's not uh, an incorrect, in some ways it's not an incorrect analysis of the current situation. If you want to call this capitalism, um, it's not how I would describe capitalism, but be, because of the, the way our society is, it's, it's certainly not a term I would use or a way I, I would describe myself because to me, it's just it's just too, too darn dirty of a term. But I wanted to go back to uh, just the one thing that I just didn't really fully understand um, kind of the impetus of the phrase when you said profit is, is basically unpaid labor. Can you kind of expand on that? Yeah, definitely. So like I said, um, a, a capitalist owns a piece of paper that the state ratifies as legitimate. So I think even in like, let's say a, like a super minarchist society, like a, a Ron Paul, but even more bare bones government, let's say, um, there's always going to be the state recognizing property rights. And that's really, at least from a Marxist perspective, that's the state's fundamental duty. And you look at examples throughout history in the first states and as states progress, um, property rights are really the defining nature of what a state is. Uh, and that is their most fundamental level. So the capitalist holds this piece of paper that the state ratifies and says, this is yours, do what you will with it. The capitalist become, starts a business, whatever it may be, um, and needs employees, can't, can't do it all on his or her own. So they you know, contract some employees, they say, well, we'll pay you, you know, $7 an hour, the state comes in, let's say, no, you pay them eight, what have you. So the capitalist, if what the workers produce is valued at more than $8 an hour or $7 an hour, wherever you want to draw the line, the argument kind of fits the shoe. Um, if they produce anything above what they are paid, the capitalist is taking that away from them because the, the workers who really produces the product. So if you produce something and somebody takes however much away from you, um, that is taking away from your labor. So what you produce is what puts value into the market. Now, there are other things that go into, like, the obvious supply and demand. Uh, I, I, give, I, I want to just ask you why, like, where do you – I don't really even understand the, the point that you're making saying that the workers produce more than what, what it's worth or what they're paid. I, I'm, I'm kind of confused by that because so – can a worker without a factory or without, I mean, if these workers are, that you're referring to here are, are producing more than what they're worth, why do they need this capitalist in the first place? Why do they need a factory? Why do they need whatever company they're working at? Why don't they just sit at home and produce it? Because they can produce it. Well, okay. Yeah. So that, that's a good point. And sometimes workers do do that. Workers create cooperatives um, and workers create democratic workplaces where property is shared. But the state protections of capitalism makes that incredibly difficult. So you have an individual who owns that deed, that piece of paper that the state ratifies, only has to pay the individual a certain amount and can easily outcompete a cooperative that you know um, gives their gives their employees or their owners um, you know their wage. So a lot of the capitalist argument is that well the capitalist system increases innovation, and I would say it, it does to some extent, but if that advantage of adhering so much wealth because in a capitalist society the capitalist can hoard that wealth or i guess just i shouldn't say hoard but can bring it in from the workers what they produce um they have a greater incentive and a greater greater amount of wealth singularly within the marketplace if that was eliminated i think cooperatives would be just as competitive and just as innovative 
as far as like taking what the worker produces, let me just give you an example. Um, let's say I'm a capitalist. I have um, you know 200 logs, and I, I don't know how I acquired them. I inherited them. Let's say I have 200 logs, and I have three employees that chop them up and turn them into chairs. So the chairs cost. Uh, I, I make you know 400 dollars off the chairs. I have to pay 200 dollars in labor. I pocket the other 200. That 200 was directly produced by these workers. So me taking it away is me saying the state says I own this property and I am therefore under their power um, allowed to take away what you produce. So I'm not saying the capitalist has nothing there. The capitalist did give them the opportunity and they did provide overhead or safety <coughs> measures, or, you know, employee benefits or whatever. Um, but if he skims anything off the top, he is taking away from what the workers produce. So I, I don't mean to interrupt, but um, so my question is, what incentive is there for the capitalist, as you say, to do anything if, if there's no profit to be earned for him, if, if it's going to be completely distributed to the workers? Well, in that case, I would go back to what I said that um, in a in like a culture, I, can, I hate the word society, but uh, for lack of a better term, uh, in a society where individuals organize horizontally, um, the innovation and the incentive is really decentralized among the workers, but they can form worker unions, they can form worker cooperatives to gain wealth themselves, to flood a marketplace. Um, and if the capitalist advantage wasn't there, where the singular individual has the incentive to accrue vast amounts of wealth, um, I think we would see just as much innovation from the worker level because that would be what we see as our ability to gain wealth. So the capitalist system, what it does is it is it incentivizes individuals to take labor away from workers in the form of profit. But if we don't have that there, people are going to be just as innovative to make a living. So I, I, that, I think I just fundamentally disagree with that as the result. Um, because, and, and I know it's really easy to do the classic, like, oh, you know, communism hasn't worked anywhere. Right, right, right. Because that hasn't been tried correctly. And I think you could say the same thing with capitalism, right? Like, what we, we talked about that yeah. earlier. What we have here in America is still kind of a um, bastardized government collusion with big corporations version sure. of capitalism. But sure. ultimately, I mean, what drives innovation? And I, I think a big part of what drives innovation is investment and risk. So if I am, you know, let, let, let's not demonize me in this scenario. So let's say I'm a reasonably middle-class person and I want to start a, I, I want to invent a business or start a business that creates a better widget, whatever the widget is. And I have this idea of how to do it. But for me to get started with that business, it's going to take an investment of a hundred thousand dollars. So I invest that $100,000, mostly my life savings, go out and get workers, create an assembly line. So in that scenario, why would I not be entitled to profit? I think, I think in that scenario, uh, you would. And I think that in profit in, in the sense that you're referring to, um, I, I, think, I think you would be entitled to that um, in a society where we have a horizontal or democratically organized workforce. Um, and I think that would go straight back to just contractual agreements, understanding that you took the risk. And once this risk is paid off, plus, you know, an agreed amount of whatever interest, 
uh, that you can you can make a sizable amount of money because of the risk you put on and because of the benefit that you provided me. And so the state I, does the state cap me then and determine like what what I'm allowed to make. The state the state is where it gets tricky, um, but I'm I guess I'm talking more of a libertarian socialist model right now, where the state is minimal or doesn't exist. So I, on this level. Um, the amount that you earn, your return on your $100,000 is strictly negotiated between you and your workers. So you invest this, we have a group meeting, we'll say, well, you know, I'm willing for you to take this much out of my check for, you know, giving me this job. Um, so you get like, let's say a 30% return on your $100,000. Um, if it gets done within a year, or if it takes two years, you get a bigger return, or if it takes 10 years, you get an even bigger return. Um, and I think those contractual agreements can be, you know, hashed out in a really civil, democratic manner. Um, and if if it can't be done that way, uh, you know, we have a population of seven billion on this planet, and I, I can I can assure you that you know there will be workers somewhere willing to work. Now, there's economic factors that result in you know maybe workers not being available in certain areas, but that's no different than capitalism, really. Um, so I guess I'm a little confused by the distinction you're making. Um, well, A, one is whether, is it is it in some way just simply a matter of size or is it what you're seeing as the justness or however you might view that um, of the relationship between the, the capitalist and the worker? Because in John's scenario, I mean, he's still the capitalist, uh, maybe, not in the cap, maybe not a capitalist in the same way you were originally describing. Um, I guess, and when you talk about having this all sort of taking place in your in your view, in sort of a stateless or very minimally state society, um, like I guess, I guess my question would be like, how do you enforce things working out just the way you want without some state or some body to make sure these are the sort of contracts that happen as opposed to more standard wage labor like you often see? I mean, th these models. I'm in favor of all sorts of models. I'm in favor of the freedom for any model people want to choose. But it, it sounds like you're, you're you think it should be in a certain type of contract, a certain type of arrangement. And if you're looking at this all in, in a world with a, a very minimal or non-existent state, even I'm curious how you think that comes about, where these are the only sort of type of worker and uh, owner or whatever what have you relationships that there are. Yeah, and I, I think that's a that's a fair question. So, uh, in a let's just say we're, we're talking about left anarchism. Let's say um, where there's no state. In that scenario, general um, general uh, anarchists thought in the schools of the of the left um, generally look at you know uh, local assemblies, so communitarian assemblies where it's completely horizontal and democratically organized. So let's say um, that. Uh, that John, you, you know, you were the one that invested the hundred thousand dollars and we agreed, Hey, you know, um, you can pay us this, but take this much out. So you get a 30% return on a hundred thousand dollars within a year, which is a pretty good return within just 12 months. Um, but let's say you, you don't do that and you just, you just refuse to do it. Um, I, what, what would happen is the community would, you know, either that you operate within. So, the workers that participate in it and the community that uses your business um, would decide whether or not that's legitimate. And, it, and if it isn't, they could, by majority rule, um, over or you know declare your arrangement illegitimate. So it would function almost as if like a you know like a, a trial, but on a very localized scale. And what what do you think happens in that scenario if it's ruled illegitimate? If it's ruled illegitimate in that in that scenario, I would assume the community would um, 
you know, not participate in that business model. Um, that, you know, this individual has no right to the property and it should be returned to, you know, whatever status it was before. Okay. Dan, your thoughts? <laughs> this is the I'm quietest just, Dan's ever been on a show. Hey, man, I'm just, I'm the host. I don't have opinions. <laughs> Mark, whatever you say, I, I believe you. It's fine. <laughs> I like it. Uh, <laughs> Not biased at all. Hey, Dan Smots here. I'm taking a second to interrupt myself talking to talk about myself because, you know, I don't get paid a penny for the hours and hours that I put into creating this show for you guys in your greedy little ears. And I've got a family to feed. To make that happen, I run my own media business called Goulash Media. If you have a need in anything from video production to graphic design to audio production and beyond, you can get it all for a painfully fair price at Goulash Media. In video, I do weddings, music videos, commercials, pageants, plays, etc., etc., etc. For design, I do photo editing editing, album art, logos, branding, business cards, merchandise, you name it. For audio, I do engineering, production, editing, jingles, and, well, podcasts. So if you've got a media need of any kind, or if you'd just like to give a little something back and help keep my children fed, check out all the endless options at my website, goulashmedia.net. That's goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, media.net, where we cater to the little guy with the big vision. <sighs> okay. No, I think I look, Bobby, I think that was a pretty good description of it. I just think what it comes down to and what I think is a fundamental disagreement between uh, Marxists and at least on economics, Marxists and capitalists is what drives human behavior. And right. like I, I there's just I can I have a hard time imagining in a horizontal society like you described why mm -hmm. anyone would take personal risk to innovate. Yeah, it, it would like just not happen, I don't think. I, I agree. If all you're doing is gaining back what you got, then you're just uh, another employee. I, I don't see the appeal and how that would work, but that's just me. Well, if you like, if like, let's say you took Nike's CEO or even, you know, top 10 most wealthy individuals inspired across all their employees, uh, all these employees would make a sizable income. You know, they'd make more than doctors and lawyers in the U.S. do right now. Um, so, I mean, I would say that's the innovation right there is, you, you would have a vast amount of individuals who could accrue wealth. Now, individuals, just through sheer market forces, would have a real difficult um, time making, you know, a, a couple billion dollars. That, that would be difficult. Uh, but really, um, the sense of innovation uh, is, in that sense, just decentralized and split amongst the workers who, you know, still want to make, you know, a million dollars a year. And with a company like Apple or Nike, which, you know, under you know, the regime we have, they have all sorts of corporate privilege and yada, yada, yada. But um, there are incredibly, you know, profitable businesses out there where if split among the workers, the workers would be rather well off. And I actually think that would be a healthier model um, than, you know, <laughs> a what, small group of people go incredibly. I mean, this is, this is the, uh, another fundamental question, but does the low-skilled worker at the end of the assembly line doing a repeated task over and over is the value of that person the same as the CFO who, you know, figures out how to leverage debt and get the company through a difficult quarter? Well, that's, that's another good question. And uh, there, there's two different, I guess, schools within the anarchist left on that. And that is, um, that is, that is the more communist side of the anarchist left where they say, uh, you know, that worker is actually more valuable because they're physically on the line than the CFO. They wouldn't even exist. Those, those positions would just be, uh, you know, uh, 
democratically decided, which I mean, I think you and I can agree that wouldn't be very efficient. Um, and then there's well, the also, jobs would be gone. I mean, like, yeah. Right. So, but there's also factions of it that say these positions can exist um, and they can be democratically elected, kind of like a Republican system um, where, you know, you elect, you know, temporary or term, term limited, uh, you know, uh, managers or CFOs or call it something else and have that decision, whatever, whatever you call it. And then actually mathematically calculate um, how much that individual produces and distribute it in that sense. So let's say, let's say a manager who supervises, it's calculated their net worth to be $60,000 a year. And the worker, we see that without them, without that worker position there, the company is actually $100,000 a year. Um, in that scenario, then sure, um, the individual who is working the assembly line would, would definitely make more. I think it can be calculated in the marketplace. And I think current business models do far more intensive data analysis and financial analysis than that. Do you think, um, and sorry, Dan, I, I don't know if you want to stay on You're this. fine. No, um, keep it going. Oh, so <laughs> do you think, here, here's the thing, you're, you're talking about the contract being almost between um, the worker and the business as if the business, the worker is an investor, but isn't the functionality of a worker that they can be replaced? I mean, if, if a business is hiring on a worker at, you know, and we can chart this out, um, but at a, a given wage, um, because that's what the market dictates is the wage, um, there's, there's several people willing to line up and, and earn that wage. So I guess it's just, um, just, I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe, you know, I, I maybe I need to read more into Marxist thought. I just, for me, it's just so hard to like comprehend it because it seems, seems very philosophical, but like not how human behavior functions. Right. So I think, um, I, I think you might be misunderstanding my I, idea of the worker as, as also the owner. So what you're saying is completely right in, you know, many market systems, whether on like, whether leaning left or whether leaning right, um, in a market system, a worker is expendable. Um, however, how socialism try at least on the libertarian side, the authoritarian side is a whole nother mess that, yeah, anyway, but on the libertarian side, essentially what it looks as the worker as the owner. So the worker owns the business and it's the worker owns a portion of it. Let's say there's 500 employees. One employee owns 500, one five hundredth of that. Um, and they're contracted with the rest of the workers. Now, if an individual has invested in the business and given these people that opportunity, the, the contract just becomes that much more dynamic at that point. And these can be, you know, worked out in a democratic setting, in a committee setting. Do you think that, that. Um, sorry. Sorry, no, I mean, like, but that's, that's my issue is like, like, so let's say Amazon has, I don't know, they probably have 10,000 employees, maybe more. Right. right. So I'm going to go work for Amazon. Amazon's really close to a trillion dollar company. Sure. So let's say I beat out four other guys for a, a assembly line job. Okay. And then automatically I should get a salary of a hundred million. No, that's not, that's not really what I'm saying. Um, if Amazon somehow manifested itself either in a free markets capitalist system, uh, which I, I assume you guys propose, correct me if I'm wrong, 
um, or if it emerged in my, you know, libertarian socialist era, uh, you know, universe, that would be very bizarre because Amazon has been afforded many different um, state protections, whether it's from tax cuts to uh, corporate privilege to, uh, you know, loosening on tariffs, exceptions to tariffs, things like that. Um, due to that, it's been able to expand and grow to what it is. So even in a, like, I, I know I brought up the Ron Paul Libertarian Society before, but I, I think the shoe fits here. Um, even in something like that, where there's even less state protections, the free market would compete out Amazon. There's no way you'd have a mega conglomerate like that without some sort of uh, power structure reinforcing it. Am I wrong? I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know. That's my answer, too. I don't know that you're right or wrong. Okay. I'd like to I, find out. I mean, I agree with you that the state colludes with Amazon currently. Right. right? And, and I think that the state creates barriers to entry within capitalism. Sure. To competitors to Amazon, which I think is really problematic. Right. So do you I, think... I do you think um, do you think Amazon could come about or a company that size could come about without these privileges? I think that they could, yes. I don't know that they would do it in the same way. That obviously wouldn't be the same way because they have obviously we have these certain privileges in place. I think a company could grow in a similar interesting way through a lot of the things Amazon does if they were leveraging a lot of their the uh, the market share they were gaining um you know in, in a lot of ways Amazon did. It's not like every dollar Amazon has made are through state protections. There are simply state protections that have enabled it to grow faster and larger and bigger. Uh, sure. I think that's certainly true. And um you know the so the fact that um yeah, no, I'm not sure where we're going to go with the next point. But. Sure. I mean, there, there are examples of companies that haven't had the same level of protections Amazon has and have still grown. Like I would say Facebook, for example. It's hard for me to think off the top of my head of um, state protections. Maybe some of their campuses in California have um, uh, like no property tax or something like that. But Amazon is, I mean, when we mentioned Amazon, Amazon's one of the worst offenders because they pretty much play this game when they're trying to create a new uh, factory where they're like, hey guys, uh, we'll come to your city and create all this economic uh, activity only if you give us 0% taxes. John, I might look even deeper than that because even though they might not have had the same kind of transparent state protections that you might see in Amazon, you could argue in many ways that any large company due to the current system by its very nature is going to be a beneficiary of state protections along the way. Even something as simple as um, being listed on the stock market or um, having VCs fund you, that's based on state protections that don't allow smaller investors to invest in companies in similar ways that certain other people can. And I think some of that has changed in the last couple of years, but there are state protections that we don't even think of um, simply due to the ways that com these companies are allowed to get money in the first place and grow to the size that they did in the first place. That's not even going into conspiracy theories about the CIA funding Facebook or any of that stuff. I won't go there. Right. And Man, I, I, are you, are you going to, this definitely isn't the show to bring up conspiracy. No, you Mark, so. Never, I would never want yeah, to do that. I, I, I really agree with a lot of what you're saying. I do think um, I, I, I would be hard pressed to look back at history and find a market society. Uh, what you guys, I, I would assume, and what I would, what I would call a free market society um, that allows a monopoly to take hold. There's almost always some sort of state privilege there. Uh, the first monopoly, really, that I can think of was the East India Company. Mm -hmm. uh, was That's set a up. classic example, yeah. Yeah, which was set up by the Queen to effectively pillage India. We we don't have to get into the, the debate there, but 
Um, I Thank think man, I think you said it right there. It's not it's not a free market monopoly, so it's not really applicable to the kind of thing, at least the kind of thing I would advocate for. Set up by the queen. Right. <laughs> which is done there already. Which is state interference. And it was the first LLC, you know, it was state interference and state privilege at that point. So it 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 made it so competitors would have a hard time, you know, uh, getting their way in the market. So I that's one thing I do like about one of the ideas of free market capitalism is that it outcompetes monopolies. And I think monopolies are bad as a whole because they don't give consumers a choice. I do think diversification of the marketplace is incredibly important um, within, a, within a market socialist economy or within a market capitalist economy. I do think it's uh, incredibly important to have a diversified workplace or a diversified marketplace, I should say. Um, and, I, you know, credit to Adam Smith for kind of pointing out that, you know, a, a free marketplace would kind of decentivize and not really decentivize, but delegitimize monopolies as a whole. I think I think at the end of the day, you're right, though, about that. I do think a, a true more truer to a free market or the kind of free market I would envision. I don't even love that term entirely either, but um, yeah, monopolies are, are nearly impossible because at the end of the day, um, there's always going to be a, a smaller people and smaller companies to undermine something that does grow big unless it's allowed to maintain that size that is largely often due to state protections. So I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you on that. And, and there's a lot of things point. you could call state protections that within capitalism right now that I think are, frustrating, right? So the, the perfect example is, um, let's say, you know, we all decide after this call, like we're going to create a new Facebook and uh, we, um, you know, take something that they uh, kind of have and we repurpose it and we make it our own. Let's say the newsfeed. So we take and repurpose it and then Facebook's lawyers come and say, hey, we're going to sue you. So Facebook is in this, this uh, situation where they can afford millions of dollars in legal fees and we being the new small business owners cannot, right? It'll ruin our business. And so right. I think that's, that's, that's partly uh, where these corporations like are able to leverage and, and shut people out from competition. But like, I mean, I, I think it's actually, I think monopolies are a difficult discussion in a truly free capitalist system where there are no benefits, um, where there are no state benefits to the corporations. Cause then it's like, well, is it state control? to come in and break up these monopolies just because they're big. But um, when you have this collusion that is so clear uh, that already exists, then, you know, I mean, we have to get rid of the collusion between government and corporations before we can even address if big corporations are a bad thing. But don't you think, don't, don't you think collusion between business and state, don't you think that's integral to the property rights agreement that it's really the foundation of capitalism? Like, a state needs to protect the capitalists, their property. You know, that's that's part of really the U.S. Constitution was in under the Articles of Confederation, you know, banks were getting seized by just public opinion because banks couldn't operate. It was a, it was a kind of a shitty time. And there was one incident called Shays Rebellion where, you know, there were a bunch of farmers that literally threatened the existence of a bank. And it really was thought that too much democracy at a local level was a bad thing and it would threaten property rights, which is why the constitution afforded, you know, a much more powerful office that could reinforce the property rights. And most what we would call capitalist countries, I know you guys are saying it's not perfectly capitalist, and I would happen to agree. Um, are, but most of those countries are really modeled after the US constitution in that way and really kind of set the stage for the era of capitalism we see now. So I'm not sure it can happen where 
you know, uh, you know, financial power and government power can truly ever be separate for that reason. I mean, maybe not in a democracy. I, I, I think, you know, it's a, that's an interesting question. Mark, weigh in and then let's move on to something else. Something else. Um, I I guess one distinction or one thing I might want to ask you further about is, uh, again, I kind of said this before, but is it is it a matter of scale in in some way to you? Is it a matter of size? I mean, when you say the capitalist, it sounds like you're often referring to sort of like the large business owner or the the factory owner. Um, Like, are you are you referring to yourself? Like, are you referring to the shirt on your back are you referring to if you take 50 bucks and just want to start a small a very very small lawn mowing business i don't know i'm just making things up here or a dog walking business um i mean would you apply the same i guess idea and philosophy to something that's small and if not you know at what point does your philosophy about how a business and how people should interact with each other change is it simply because you were still talking about i mean the state is protecting my leash my ownership of my leash for my dog walking business as much as it is the factory maybe more so the factory due to other state protections that that we discussed but generally i mean philosophically speaking where, where when does it change for you when it's when it changes from you to to that large factory owner is there a certain point in between there you could point to yeah, well, what it is, it's a, it's a fundamental distinction of property rights. So the short answer is that it applies everywhere, no matter how big, no matter how small, uh, it just, it applies everywhere because it's a fundamental distinction between, uh, you know, property rights tied to production and use and property rights tied to uh, a, a public state certification of ownership. Um, so yeah, again, the short answer is yes, it applies everywhere. There is no line. There is no, uh, you only pull in, you know, a thousand dollars off your dog walking business this year. Uh, you can afford to, you know, pay an employee $2 an hour to walk a dog once in a while. Uh, fundamentally speaking, when the property rights shift to that of production being the source of property rather than investment or state protection being the source of property, it applies everywhere. Does that answer your question? I tried best of both worlds, complicated and not there. So, <laughs> um, it answers it. I just can't say I fully understand it philosophically speaking. I, I guess like, uh, are are you kind of are you saying that the it would apply? Meaning that, let's say, you take a hundred dollars and you buy uh, a couple dog leashes and, and some backpacks and some dog bags, and you just decide you're going to walk dogs, but you also want other people to walk some dogs, and maybe even in the beginning you're going to take less money than them because you want to build the business up and you're willing to take less. You're willing to just walk dogs for free while you're paying people five bucks an hour, ten bucks an hour, whatever it may be. Um, at, over time, that business grows and grows and grows. You've been taking no money this whole time, but finally you reach a point where you are able to expand a little bit more. You are able to afford more marketing. You're able to afford more flyers and suddenly you are making a profit do you think there's any you do you think the most you should ever make is that same two five ten dollars that you pay any dog walker should they suddenly be a part of that collective even though, though you did all of the work to start this business even though you did all the work even though you made all of that sacrifice even though you put out all these flyers did all this other back-end work to make things where it is now are you suddenly all on that same scale where you should just be sort of dividing that money and if i'm oversimplifying things you know i, I know i probably am in many ways but you see where i'm kind of going with it no, I don't think you're oversimplifying. Um, I think it goes back to John's question earlier about investing $100,000. It's the same thing. So uh, if three individuals want to start this and three individuals want to take the risk, it, that can still happen. But we know that would be kind of difficult to do. So if one individual wants to do it, uh, if one individual wants to invest, um, 
you know, he can, like I said, get into a contractual agreement with other people that he will uh, get his money back. And but what if he doesn't want to have a contractual agreement? What if he just says, I just want to pay you $5 an hour to walk dogs or to, for every dog walk, and they agree. In your view, should that agreement be banned or stopped um, or stopped by the community? Well, I'm more of a, I mean, I, I like to consider myself an advocate for voluntary interaction and not, uh, no force be involved. So I, I can't say that I would personally agree uh, with a community coming in and saying, hey, you can't do that. Um, but it, according to yeah. rhetoric and, uh, you know, some, some factions of the left, um, whether it be state or not, um, they would, they would consider that theft, um, from the worker and they would say, you cannot operate like that. Would you say that? Um, I don't think it would be theft as it's voluntary. Personally, I, am. Um, I understand the necessity of the capitalist organization of labor and i understand it and i think it's given the world a lot of benefits and a lot of not so good uh negatives um but i think more that i'm i am what i call myself a um contemporary marxist where i understand the phase of capitalism is really setting the stage for a future socialist society um so personally no i don't i don't believe that's theft as it is voluntary um now Consent can be coercive, as I'm sure you guys are all aware. Um, but if it's just a purely voluntary, there's no coercive actions in place. Um, and yeah, I, w I would not say it's that. It depends on how you define coercive. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying you're saying this, but I've heard people make the argument that would say, you know, that for example, uh, if this dog walker, he's hungry, he's a, maybe it's a homeless guy, he has no alternatives. Um, the fact that he needs that $5 to walk that dog, that is coercion in a way because of his predicament, that person is coercing them. And I'm certainly not saying you're making that, but I have heard people make that sort of argument where if someone is in a situation where they need the job, it's coercion to sort of hold that wage over their head in a way. So I don't know if you well, yeah, have I thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't agree with that talking point that you brought up um, because, I mean, we all need – like it. If there were no real economic system that was verifiable, if we were all just cavemen, you know, hanging out, you need to work to live. Um, and I mean, there, there's no getting around that. When people say work or die is more of a threat than it is a choice, I would gravely disagree um, that, you know, everybody needs to work in order to survive. That's, that's just a product of our condition. Uh, I'm of the opinion that we're animals completely and every animal out there needs to work to survive. So. I don't agree with that talking point and I really wish people would stop using it, but um, I do think there's a difference between, okay. <laughs> yeah, I do think there's a difference between people uh, voluntarily deciding to work and being under conditions in which they are underrepresented and unable to actualize the value of their labor and um, people just voluntarily choosing to do jobs they want to do for um, something they're happy for. There is a difference between that. And I think that's the biggest distinction between really the first and the third world is uh, work for sustenance, work to literally just survive. And in the first world where you have a little more choice in the matter and you're a little more able to have options to make actual, in actual living to have freelance time or what have you. Dan, I'm sorry. I know you wanted to move on. <laughs> no, it's fine. We'll, we'll just stick to this uh, as long as everybody's got something to say. I mean, 90% of the episodes that I record uh, are me learning. So I'm just sitting here soaking it up as you guys uh, go back and forth. I enjoy it. Um, Mark, do you have any well, response I, to that? 
yeah, I just actually have one more question um, on this sort of take, I, I guess. Um, so a lot of the ways, you know, you're you're saying you wouldn't like consider like, you know, the situation we described theft. So you're you're not on that necessarily that the rent is theft bandwagon. And you, you would you said you were opposed to well, sort of like um, rent is a little bit different. But okay, that, OK, let's not even go down that route because that's a whole nother. <laughs> That's a whole another. Uh, that would be another hour, or maybe we can go down it. I don't know. It's Dan's show, but that's that's not where I meant to go with it. I was just kind of tossing that phrase out there, uh, you know. With that, it's all right. It's all right. I know that is sort of a, that is different than what you're saying, because um, yeah, I have right. heard that I have heard that argument in a more constructive way too. So, uh, okay. So I guess um, uh, how am I trying to phrase this? So okay. So if you're a lot of the way, like what I was trying to say is you're you're in favor of this sort of of voluntary relationships and um, of of. Um, sort of this this sort of cooperative agreements and contracts the, between workers and owners or again whatever you would call it um, so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is are you is, is this vision that you have of society of how things should be is it just where you hope things go is it where you think that things can go as we progress as humans as we uh, learn about each other more as we you know delve into each other's philosophy more where you hope society will decide to go or do you think that there should be a any kind of physical state-esque or even local community-esque physical enforcement of this at any point well um what I was really describing is um, Dan kind of asked, you know, describe Marxism, describe your your viewpoint on it, and things like that. Um, and I, I was really speaking to fundamentals. I don't really like the idea of a community democratically operating as effectively a state and just not calling it as such, which is what a, a lot of left anarchists like to do, and I don't like that. Um, so that's not really my vision for the future, and I don't think if it happened tomorrow really work all that well. Um, I think a more free market oriented era, uh, you know, um, community co-ops would be a little bit better. Um, but what I foresee, I guess, um, is automation really taking over in capitalism to the point where, uh, you know, people around the world are starving um, and are unable to fulfill any, any type of work whatsoever and gain any, any level of sustenance. Um, and I think it'll take hey man, a man, that's transhumanism, next evolution of man. It's fine. Exactly. And that would be <laughs> totally fucking cool. Um, I would definitely thumbs up that. I can't wait to have a robot, robot eye. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I want like a robot body where you can just plug shit into me and I feel funny. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and I mean, I think at that point, we'd be so beyond like production that like, Things like 3D printing and decentralized manufacturing and individual manufacturing, literally just a footprint in our homes. And at that point, it's really just going to be a scramble for basic, you know, basic raw materials, which we can chemically engineer very easily. If we have a hunk of dirt, that is all the protons, electrons, and everything in it um, that we need to really create other elements and therefore other raw minerals. So if you can break into, if we get to the point where we have like nuclear fusion or if we harness more power from the sun, I mean, you know, we can produce whatever the hell we want. And I really think once automation takes over, it will force us into that kind of semi-socialist idea that all the factors of production are really universally owned. And that will propel us into, you know, what I like to call the luxury gay space communism complex, which is really um home base so wait what'd you what'd you call it again 
that's uh luxury gay space communism it's like star trek but like with uh gay strippers everywhere (laughs) (laughs) pretty cool like i mean nobody's written a book on it yet but maybe i'll start you should write it you should write it yeah all right i'll I'll, yeah i I should gay strippers why can't everybody strip here i don't don't yeah we're missing our token gay guy ryan so (laughs) of all times it's when the gay strippers are taking over in the science fiction that's right all right. Well, I mean, we've gone for uh, enough for this to be an episode of its own. Um, we can wrap it up there unless you guys have any any further thoughts. I, I know that we typically do these for like hours and hours and ridiculous <laughs> amounts of time until everybody's ready to shoot themselves or shoot Ryan because he keeps bringing up new topics. But uh, North you guys... Korea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I had another topic that uh, I had planned to talk about tonight. One more yeah, hour. <laughs> Kavanaugh and me too. And hey, I'm down to keep talking if you guys want to. But uh, we can do a short Kavanaugh thing. I can right? hang for a little bit. We can make it a bonus or just keep this your own show. I mean, well, yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, that'd be great, Mark. For thanks. The first I'm time not ever. letting you know what you're allowed to do uh, in, in post. If you want to keep posting this show, you feel free to do so. Uh, free market. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll wrap it there and we'll just see what happens after. But um, do you, uh, John, Mark, uh, Bobby, do you guys have any final thoughts on this topic before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I'll just I'll weigh in real quick. Um, I thought it was a really interesting discussion, Bobby. Um, you know, I've, I have a friend of mine who um, is a out and out communist and I talk to him a lot about economics and look, I mean, I, I think, I, I think fundamentally what we disagree on is motivation. Like what, what propels human beings and what like will happen in a society where um the incentives are switched up. And I guess like, I, I'm still, you know, my mind has not been changed. Maybe I'm, I'm just hardwired that way. I don't know. But, you know, my, my biggest issue with, with economic Marxism, and I think cultural Marxism is a totally different thing. And really it's where I focus a lot of my attention and animosity, but on economic Marxism, I think the biggest issue is that I would not like, let's say I was a, um, you know, um, I'll say a a doctor. And if I made the same amount as the, um, you know, the receptionist, I don't believe I would be incentivized to, uh, work the extra hours, take on the extra patients, do the extra research that would be necessary to propel, uh, the clinic or what have you. And that's one example, but I, I just ultimately, I, I think I place a lot more value on leadership and uh, R&D and the brains behind, I, I don't mean that to say that somebody who's on the assembly line doesn't have brains, but the intellectual backing to a company, um, I, I think that that's value. The person value who makes the it. whole job even a thing. Right. Like the, well, look, without them, I, there, there's two, the people on the assembly line don't exist. There's two factors that really like drive a company. There's the capital that's being invested to believe in these ideas. And then there's the ideas. And if you don't have either of those things, um, there's nothing, there's no assembly line. And so I just, I fundamentally disagree with the idea that the person on the assembly line um you know, I think there's something to be said with maybe we should argue about what that wage is. Like maybe there's, you know, but the idea that they're equal. okay, Ryan, bring up a new topic. No, I, 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 I your final I closing statement. Talk about minimum wage for forty-five. <laughs> I, I won't get into that. <laughs> but the idea that they're equal 
to the person who is has the specialized knowledge in the field who or the person who has invested their own personal capital who's working twice as much time i i just i don't see them as equal in terms of what they're worth you know as far as a wage goes i i would say i would say if i if i characterize that that uh you know, a, a receptionist should make the same amount as a medical doctor. I, I, I did not mean to say that. Um, well, I, that I, was, I, I was coming up with, a, with an example that sounded a lot better, but, but um, I think, I think we talked about the CFO, right? So let's, let's do that. So the person on the assembly line and the CFO, and I would argue that the CFO is a inherently more valuable job and should be paid a higher wage. And the reason I believe that is because the assembly line person could be replaced by anyone in society, but the CFO and the skills and the knowledge and the, the abilities they have could not be replaced by anyone in society. Well, I, I, I would again say, yeah, it makes sense, but I, I would again say, I don't, if I did, I, I didn't mean to, but I don't, I didn't attempt to characterize um, a CFO and an assembly line worker making the same. What I do distinctly remember saying was that um, uh, among a company, it can be decided uh, mathematically the net contribution and the net value that different positions can give the company. And I I do distinctly remember saying that uh, businesses and financial agencies now do far more complex financial analyses than that and and it's definitely within the realm of possibility and within that i do think you'd see definitely that a doctor has far more value to a business than a receptionist and a a cfo um you know makes financial decisions that you know sustain the well-being of a company far more than that of an assembly line worker so if i characterized it that they should all make the same money i would i would like to clarify that I, i did not mean that um, there's obviously going to be diversified wages based on the idea that workers produce the value of the company, um, which is really where I was coming from there. But there would be there would be different wages throughout. Um, I think the idea that everybody gets paid the same no matter what uh, is a more liberal than communist argument. Um, and it doesn't really ideologically stand up to anything. Um, so I think we'd agree that 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 wouldn't work out too well. Okay. I'm confused, but uh, that's pretty normal for me. <laughs> it's supposed to be closing statements, but you know, it's it's whatever. Closing debates. <laughs> Mark, do you got any uh, any closing arguments you want to bring up <laughs> on the same subject, or say make up a random topic? <laughs> uh, who knows, man? The show's just whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I'll just say, you know, thanks to for Bobby for stepping into the fire on the. Yeah. On a, not that it was that much fire. I think we're all reasonable people, even Bobby. Dude, this whole um, episode's been fire. What are you talking about? Fire, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think in many ways it sounds like Bobby is more of like a lot of people I've talked to before that are, I don't know if you would call yourself that, but it sounds like you lean more towards the ideas of like a libertarian socialist kind of thing. Um, Absolutely. And I'm not labeling you that per se, but I mean, um, yeah. And, and, well, he um, is, so no more arguments there. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and to me, I have mixed views on, on a lot of, my thoughts about libertarian socialists, but like I disagree with philosophically a lot of um, the concepts about how things will work out and how things should work out. Um, but I do connect with most of them on this idea that we should not be using violence and force and that we should minimize, um, you know, 
unjustness uh, in any way. We might have different, slightly different views about what that is, but and I think there is a lot of common ground there that, uh, well, really that all of us have in, in many ways. So it's, uh, it's always good. If you took all of our labels and tossed them in a bucket, people would think that it would just be a uh, hell and fury. So I'm glad that we can continue to do these shows, even when we, you know, have a new person stepping in and still not be completely, you know, at each other's throats. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope that we can, Mark, when the next time you're cooking a meal, when we plan for the episode to come on, maybe we'll find a different libertarian to step in. Um, Bobby, out of curiosity, as the the more left-leaning person in the group, uh, or clearly the most left-leaning person in the group, but uh, have you ever called somebody Nazi or punched somebody in the face for uh, wearing a MAGA hat? Uh, Have have I called somebody a Nazi? Yeah. Um, Were they a Nazi? Yeah, they were. And I've also... I've also ironically used the term, but I don't think everybody, even on the alt right, is not like I. I really hate. Yeah. He I doesn't really, even think John's a Nazi. <laughs> like people that like equate one thing they don't like with the worst thing they can think of, you know that's that's the behavior of a nine-year-old, you know. And like, I'm sorry if you guys have nine-year-olds at home, but. You know, they're not- I do have a nine-year-old at home, oh. but <laughs> she's Nazi. never called anybody a Nazi. Either. What a Nazi. Your little Nazi, Dan's Nazi nine-year-old. That's right. right. <laughs> no, I've never punched somebody for being a Nazi or called anybody a Nazi just because I didn't like them. Um, there then are- you might be unqualified for the Democrat position. Yeah, we can't find a real Democrat anywhere. <laughs> right. We even pulled a Marxist off the street, and he doesn't even fall under the category of Democrat. <laughs> Can't we well, just get an unreasonable, completely unreasonable person on? To shouldn't be this hard. Like they're all over. It's TV. impossible. Right. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, they're the majority. But uh, Bobby, uh, any final thoughts for you on this topic that we've uh, ended up in in this episode? <laughs> that we accidentally did. <laughs> yeah, kind of orchestrated, uh, kind of basics, and then kind of my view on things. Um, I, I do want to just clarify that. Um, I guess what what I like and what I foresee are somewhat different things, but I do think we're approaching the point where automation is taking over and capitalism set the stage for that. And and I would argue that I would argue that automation is really what sets the stage for like a new level of socialism that the left hasn't even really begun to ponder all that much. So um, yeah, this episode is definitely going to have to come out on Monday because Zoltan Istvan's interview came out this yesterday so i mean this will tie in perfectly to that <laughs> it's so funny bobby because i was just reading an uh, a book um, yeah. by john tamney who is like a hardcore libertarian um he runs like realclearmarkets.com okay and his argument in the book was uh automation is going to lead to an ideal capitalism <laughs> so basically where everyone gets to work the job they actually want um wow. So I think that's so interesting that, um, that, you know, I yeah, mean, automation's going to happen. I think everyone agrees. Right, yeah. Yeah. And uh, John, I think that's kind of the same point that Zoltan was, uh, making. Uh, I mean, he's a hard, he, well, he's a libertarian and he was like, you know, once all these crappy jobs go away, we'll be able to do the jobs that we want to do and make a freer market for your capitalism. So you can take it either way. Yeah, no, I mean, he pointed to things like what I you're doing I kind of hold here. the same view too. So you can get there in a lot of different, you know, philosophical thought processes, but yeah, for sure. I generally think that is the way I think things are better when there's automation. Ultimately, I think it will always will be. 
Well, I don't trust any of it. I think it's going to be the overthrow of humanity, but that's... No, no, we'll be slaves. I'm just, I'm just saying we'll have some fun and there'll be gay strippers in space or whatever. Oh, that'll be great. <laughs> yep. Title of the episode, Gay Strippers in Space. All right. There's actually... Um, how do you guys... I, I don't I don't I don't know the atmosphere like I, I I can feel the atmosphere of the show and probably the audience but um, I I won't say the word just for sake of it but there's a there's is it the N word on YouTube called Gay N Word from Outer Space Oh it is the N word okay yeah. wow. All right. yeah. and I, I'm gonna I, just disavow the rest of the show as I've had to do in the past I disavow I starting do, I disavow again John's disavowed every single tripartisan triggering episode he's been on so far so. <laughs> You guys should you guys should look up that movie. It's on YouTube. It's only a half hour. It's freaking weird, but <laughs> check it out. Did, did you have a question about it or just whether or not we've heard of this? It was a plug. <laughs> yeah, I just wondered if you've seen it and if not, was going to recommend to see it. So, I uh, I'll check it out. Maybe I guess <laughs> we'll be on search history forever. So no right, wrong. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, the CIA has got their eye on me for. Worse reasons, so it, right. it probably okay. couldn't hurt. <laughs> All right, well, uh, guys, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Bobby, thanks for filling in, and happily have you back on again in the future, man. John, Mark, Bobby, it's been fun. It's been real. You guys have a, a great evening, and we'll speak to you in the future. Adios. Not unless the future consists of gay robots in space. Then definitely. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And, you know, I made the beginning short, sweet, I feel like. Uh, somebody will still complain. Probably the same people. But uh, I feel like that gives me leeway to make this outro as painfully long as I possibly can. So... Thanks for listening. It was fun. It's a good time. Um, if you disagree with anything, go join the forum. Check that out. The forum can be found at tsidpod.com forward slash forum. And you can chime in, join these conversations. We get into some debates on there. That's where we found Bobby, um, who filled in. So being on the forum and chiming in on the forum might mean that you... Uh, could potentially be on the show someday. So go check out the forum. Go let us know what you think. Let me know what you think about these intros and outros. Should they be longer? Should they be shorter? Where they find the way they were? Should they be gone completely? Who knows? Let me know at tsidpod.com forward slash forum. Also, be sure to tune in to the Anti-News live broadcast tonight. We're going to be covering everything that's going on in the world. Of course, we're going to touch on all the major things like the Kavanaugh case. And the other things that people are talking about, <laughs> that might be it. That's all I have heard about in the last week. And it is freaking bizarre. And we're going to break it down to the best of our abilities tonight on Anti-News Live. Craig and I will be doing that. You can call in. You can write in. You can call and leave a voicemail. You can chat with us uh, in the chat bar and all that fun stuff. So check it out at antinewslive.com tonight at 9 o'clock Central Standard Time. What else do we got on the agenda? Um... Go like us, share us, subscribe us, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and the like. Be sure to hit the, the thumbs ups. Be sure to hit the notification bell on YouTube. Be sure to do all that stuff. Check it all out. Go out and talk to somebody this week about something uncomfortable. Just challenge yourself to be open and honest with people. You don't have to be a dick. 
You can just be, you know, honest and not pretend to know everything about everything. Like in this episode, I think that that's pretty important. Um, I try to, when I, when I, okay. When we're talking about Marxism with three guys who are really, really, really nerded down into politics, probably way more than I am. There were a lot of times where I'm just like, I think it's interesting. I enjoyed the conversation a lot, but there were some times where I'm just like, wait, what are we talking about? I'm very, I get distracted very easily. So in long conversations like that, you know, it's sometimes hard to just, just shut up and listen. That's what I tried to do. Um, and I would encourage you to go out and do the same with people in your day-to-day life. Talk about something real and be willing to say, I don't know the answer to something or I don't, I don't know the meaning of this because you don't. We don't. We're all humans. We're all figuring this shit out together. It feels good to be able to say shit and not have it bleeped out. Thanks, past self. Anyway, so that's all. That's all for today. Um, Check out all the stuff. TSIDpod.com. That's where you can find links to everything. All the show notes. All the fun stuff. All the great stuff. Check out Mark's show. Lions of Liberty podcast, giving him a free plug, free shout out. I feel like I should drag this on even longer just because, uh, again, another plug for the 29 Toes podcast. Check him out. 29 Toes podcast. Is this, is this too long for you yet? So what did I do this weekend? Hmm. I went to Goodwill after church today, which is Sunday when I'm recording this. And something occurred to me around Halloween time. Goodwill is able to take all the clothes, all the ridiculously stupid looking clothes that were donated as clothes. And they are able to, after they've sat on the shelf for long enough, because they're so stupid, they can put them on the Halloween rack as a costume and charge a higher value and people will buy them. It's freaking brilliant. Find a way to take that business model and work it into your day-to-day life. Uh, I don't have any any real way that that applies. But figure it out and get back to me. All right. I, I think that we've drugged this out long enough. Um, oh, I, I totally forgot to mention the Downers Club. Go join the Downers Club. That's what keeps the show going. That's what keeps the show getting bigger and better with new shows even, like the anti-news and live broadcasts and new graphics, better imaging, better audio better everything. I'm constantly working on ways to improve the show for you guys. So please sign up, consider supporting the system is down by going to uh, patreon.com forward slash the system is down and signing up for the downers club for as little as a cup of coffee a month. You'll barely even notice that that $5 is missing per month, but you will definitely notice the plethora of bonus audio content that you have access to every single week. Check it out. Patreon.com forward slash the system is down. And that concludes today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys tune in next week. If you do so, of course, you know that I will be happily, uncomfortably here nestled into your ear canal like 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 that cat that crawled underneath the porch and in the dead of winter and crawled under some old leaves until he died of cold and then uh he rotted away and come springtime the scent was just so overwhelming 
that we, we had to move. That's what I'll be like next, next Monday morning. I'll be nestled into your ear canal uncomfortably like that poor cat. So uncomfortable that you might have to move. Until then, question everything and stay uncomfortable. Thanks. This has been a Goulash Media production. Goulashmedia.net. This concludes our broadcast day. Click.